from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash, backslash WakeUpCallDT. MixLR stands for MixLiveRadio.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. That live feed is embedded on WakeUpCallDT.com's homepage, so you can listen there as well. I appreciate each and every single one of you that listens into Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora here live Monday through Friday from 9 to 11 a.m., as well as everybody who listens into the archive. And you can get that archive by going on to wakeupcalldt.com and going to the on demand archive right underneath the MixLR feed. That'll give you Podbean as well as TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, YouTube, and so much more. So I appreciate you listening in. Right now, a good friend of mine is back onto the show, somebody who I have appreciated in the professional and personal world for about a decade now, and that is Dave Paziak. He's a basketball coach and a basketball analyst. The basketball mind of Dave Paziak, I always appreciate speaking with on the bigger topics, the bigger things, and we have a lot to discuss today. So without further ado, let's bring him into the show. Dave, how are we doing today? I'm good, Dan. It's been a bit. Uh, it's great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's been a little while, and, and I had the opportunity to bump into you at the Syracuse Stallions game uh, a few weeks back here, and just what you can say about what you think about pro basketball and the ABA being in Syracuse. Well, I think, um, you know, those guys, Mike Sugamosto, he's actually a former player of mine. Um, you know, Mike's the, you know, the owner of the team, and, um, you know, the coaches, Pete Dirtis and, and Tim Marshall, those guys are friends of mine, and Lloyd Parkman, one of their players, is also one of my former players but uh i think they're doing it right um what i mean by that is uh like AB, the aba has tried and failed in syracuse in the past and you know one iteration they they, they were playing in a war memorial and um you know it just you could tell right from the get-go it was not going to be a sustainable model um you know i think what these guys are doing they're in a the right size venue at mph to where um you know they they draw a good crowd. It's a, you know, it's a full house and it feels like the place to be. It's the kind of thing where, um, you know, 50 people go out to the club that holds 50 people. Everybody thinks that's the place to be in town. They go to the club that holds 500 people and it's dead inside. Um, so I think what, you know, uh, what those guys did first of all is they're in the right size venue and they kind of followed a model that Binghamton has been using the, uh, you know, Binghamton Bulldogs, Jimmy Evans, um, you know, Jimmy's got an interest in the, the Stallions franchise too, but he, he got things going in Binghamton and they followed the same blueprint. Um, you know, so I, I think they, they put out a good product and a, and a, uh, um, you know, a fun evening for people to come out to. And, you know, you saw people there with their, you know, with their kids and everything and, um, you know, youth ball at halftime. And so I think, you know, Mike and, and, and the Stallions people have really done a good job in carving out a niche in Syracuse, which, you know, can be a tough thing to do sometimes um it sometimes it's got it sometimes it's got it sometimes it's got it sometimes it's it's hard for other um you know sports entities to get a whole lot of traction and you know i give those guys a lot of credit for you know for for being able to do that marketing and, and at the end of the day putting a good product on the court that coming from dave paziak here with us this morning on wake up call with dan tortora and dave you know you 
you know, had since left Central and Upstate New York, and, and obviously sad to see you go because of, you know, your expertise and your ability and your ability to recruit good players and, and build up a good team and do great things with that. But you have moved forward, and just, you know, how has everything, you know, been going for you, you know, since you've taken that next step, that next chapter, and that, that next part of your life? Just what you can say about, you know, what's going on for you and, and how you've kind of, um, you know, developed here, and, and it's uh, now Northern Vermont University, and you're the men's basketball head coach there and the sports information director. How's everything been over there for North Vermont University, uh, Linden? Uh, it, well, it's been busy. It's, uh, um, you know, wearing, being a, you know, being a basketball coach and being a sports information director at the same time, it's, it's like um, wearing two full-time hats at once. So it's, you know, it's first and foremost, it's busy. But uh, um, people up here are, are, are really nice. Um, we're uh, northern Vermont, Lindenville, Vermont, um, <coughs> probably, I don't know, 35, 40 miles from the Canadian border up in the northeast kingdom of Vermont. So um, people are real nice. Uh, we got a lot of work to do in terms of getting our program to where we want it to be. Um, took the job a year ago, school had already started and whatnot. So this year is like our first recruiting class. Um, you know, and we've, we've made a ton of progress in terms of building the right culture in our program. Um, you know, we're all about like kids representing the school and the program well and being respectful and working hard every day to be, you know, a great player and a great student and a great young man, most importantly, and, and being great teammates that are all about team. And we had like... When I took the job here, um, the culture was, uh, quite honestly, not that, not very good. Um, you know, so we have, we, you know, we've really, with our recruiting class this year and, and the returning guys, have made a lot of progress. Um, you know, we've got three seniors, senior night tonight for us, actually. Um, you know, so we've made a lot of progress in that regard. On the court, we've become more competitive. We haven't made as much progress as we need to. Um, to kind of be in the mix in our conference. You know, I think we're, um, you know, another good recruiting class away. Like I said, we had nine freshmen, and they have really gotten better and better every day. And, you know, coming down the stretch, we've, you know, we knocked off Maine Maritimes, one of the better teams in our league, and, um, you know, took SUNY Canton to double overtime last weekend, who's, you know, again, another one of the better teams in our league. Um, you know, so I think we're moving in the right direction on the court. It's just, it, it's, uh, it's a process that takes a little bit of time. So, you know, we're excited, excited about where, kind of where we're headed and, um, you know, looking forward to kind of making a jump in the next, you know, next year, a couple of years to where we're a team that's in the mix in our conference on a regular basis. That comment here from Dave Paziak. And like you said, it takes time. It takes work. You're doing two full-time jobs as being the sports information director as well as, you know, as well as a head coach and just what you can say about, you know, going through that and, and having to do that, you know, with a university that's gone through some changes, you know, it used to be uh, Linden and then, you know, became Northern Vermont University of Linden and it's kind of split into two pieces and just, just what you can say about, you know, having that, you know, having this uh, bigger kind of umbrella of Northern Vermont University and having two, you know, different universities kind of come together and, and how you've weathered that storm and, and kind of, you know, I mean, your team is your team, but the changes that were going on around you. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, Linden State College merged with Johnson State College last, became official last July to become Northern Vermont University. Um, you know, still two campuses, two athletic programs, but under one university banner. 
Um, <coughs> excuse me. I think it's, uh, you know, from an institutional standpoint and for our students, I think it's opened up, um, it's opened up a lot of opportunities like academically to do some more creative things. Um, you know, it's kind of moved to, moved to a common core curriculum and like Linden is very much a, and has been very much a, uh, a school that is very focused on pre-professional um, programs. We've got some kind of unique niche majors um, from everything from exercise science to mountain rec to um, atmospheric science um, is, is a huge major here. Um, you know, and things like that, they're a little bit off the mainstream and are very much pre-professional. Um, and Lennon is very heavy on applied learning, internships, um, you know, practical experiences being part of the or the academic model versus Johnson is more of a traditional uh, liberal arts campus, um, more of an emphasis on the arts and, um, uh, you know, performing arts, visual arts, that kind of thing. Um, so I think with the two, the two campuses combined to become Northern Vermont, I think it's opened up some opportunities for students on both campuses <clears throat> to kind of be able to integrate what the opposite campus does well into their program and, and do some neat things, you know, from an athletic standpoint, um, you know, we're still two programs with two, um, you know, two budgets and departments and all that kind of thing. So we compete against each other, even though we're under the same university banner. And when you, when you have that and kind of, you know, go through that, you've had different changes that have happened, you know, in your career, where does this kind of link up with everything? I mean, how has it challenged you? How has it made you a better coach? How has it made you somebody who can maybe, you know, uh, kind of handle a bunch of different things at once or, or weather a storm? What has it done to grow you as a person, as a, you know, as an administrator in a way, and, and obviously as a coach? Well, um, you know, I, I think the thing that, uh, you know, like most colleges, and especially in the Northeast, um, the, the, the pool of available students is shrinking. Um, you know, so I think that, uh, and we're also in a situation where, uh, you know, it's quite different from being in Syracuse where, you know, you walk out of practice and there's 30 high school games within a 20 minute drive that you can get to or half an hour drive. Um, you know, up here, uh, if it isn't Linden Institute or St. Johnsbury Academy, like the next closest high school game is like an hour, hour and a half. You know, so um, so we're having we're casting a different net recruiting wise, <clears throat> and um, you know we're we've done well with New York State um, because obviously I have um, you know tons of ties and connections and whatnot. So uh, you know we have um, you know we have four New York State kids in our program this year. Um, you know, and we're we're actively recruiting several others. You know, they come in next fall, um, but it's. You know, I'm, I've kind of I'm learning like Vermont and New England and in the basketball landscape, um, you know, in the recruitable areas for us, uh, kind of in this part of the country. Um, so that's certainly been, you know, that's been, uh, you know, kind of a work in progress and something that we're learning as we're going. And you know, the other thing is, um, <clears throat> you know, we're uh, we're how do I want to put this? From a resource standpoint, um, you know, there are other schools in our conference that have more than us, um, whether it be facilities, budget, um, you know, recruiting money, that kind of thing. <clears throat> so I think you learn to, you know, maximize your resources and, um, you know, 
get the most out of what you have and play to your strengths um, from that standpoint. So you have to really be um, efficient with how you operate, I guess is the way I would put it. So, um, so that's been something kind of just learning, you know, learning how to, how to best navigate and, and best utilize the resources that we have. That coming here from Dave Paziak, a basketball mind and a basketball coach. He has the Linden Hornets out in the state of Vermont. He used to be here with us in central upstate New York and does venture back here. And we get the opportunity to see him again and always ventures back here to wake up call with Dan Tortora. We have a bunch of topics to get to, Mr. Paziak, as we look at what's going on in the basketball world. I want to start with Kevin Durant versus the media. Now, the media wants to know what he's going to do. What is his future? Where is he going to go? Is he going to stay here? Is he going to go play with LeBron James? What does he want? And they're asking him this in the middle of the season. Well, Kevin Durant doesn't really pull punches, and he's let the media know very recently, hey, guess what, guys? I don't trust you guys. I don't like talking to you. What do you think about the current Kevin Durant versus the media and what it's all about? Well, you know, from a media standpoint, obviously it generates, you know, audience, viewership, listenership, clicks online, that kind of thing. Uh, if it didn't, they wouldn't push the issue. You know, Durant is you know, probably the second best player in the, in the game and, um, you know, one of the all-time greats. And, and he's, it just if you track his career, it's been kind of interesting because when he was in Oklahoma City and he got his MVP and he was like, you know, the darling of the basketball world. Um, <clears throat> you know, nice guy, memorable speech, like crediting his mom and all that. And then it's like the media and the basketball uh, fandom, I think, kind of turned on him. And he, like, he played along with it a little bit when he left Oklahoma City and went to Golden State and everything. And he kind of became the, uh, you know, went from wearing the white hat to the black hat kind of thing. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, so he's been, I think, since he's been to the Warriors, you know, he's very much wants to be identified as the best player in the game and and, and kind of respected and, and appreciated for what he's done as a player. And I think sometimes it, you know, when he, he, he engages with the media, um, you know, I think, it, you know, again, I'm not inside his head, but it just comes across as like he gets a little frustrated that I think, you know, some people discredit his accomplishments and his championship of the Warriors and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, and I think that comes out with how he deals with the media. On the flip side of it, I think, you know, the media, like I said, it generates audience and clicks and, you know, it's what people talk about. And, um, you know, we've, we've kind of, in the, you know, the sports journalism, especially with online and, you know, instant news, Twitter, message boards, um, posts and whatnot. Um, I think we, we, we've kind of, we're kind of at a point where sometimes the game isn't the story as much. It's what's going on outside the game that, uh, you know, that people talk about. And, and, and so that, you know, you know, the media moves in that direction and they get response from Durant, then they can play that up. So, um, you know, it's currently, it's really, it's interesting because like I said, when he was like um, kind of on the rise as a player in OKC, he was kind of a, a media and a basketball world darling. And it's, it's gone in the other direction a little bit. So. Yeah. You know, and, and we're, we're seeing that we're kind of seeing this change with, 
you know, with him where he was getting noticed, you know, he was getting noticed and respected and appreciated. Like you said, the media loved him and in Oklahoma City. I mean, he was with the Seattle Supersonics. And then when that team folded and moved and it went out of Seattle, went to Oklahoma City, they were the worst team in the NBA. Then they got better and better. They credited him with that. And then it was, you know, what's going on with him and what's going on with Russell Westbrook, and then when he decides to leave and go to the Warriors, he's a sellout, and then all of a sudden, you know, people are speaking for him and against him and whatnot, so, you know, I just, ultimately, I think he's been through a lot, and, you know, as a member of the media, by definition, but not by attitude or by the way I carry myself, as you know, you know, I can I can understand where he's coming through, coming from, and, and, and what he's going through in the sense of, you know, people are speaking for him and, you know, he wanted to win a championship and he wins a championship and he gets MVP. And then what do they want to do? They want to judge him for it and they want to say that he doesn't deserve it. And, you know, that it wasn't his because he got all this help and this, that, and the other thing. And so, I mean, my frustration for what he's gone through is, you know, I I think it's, I think the reality of it all is he's had to deal with so much pressure and negativity, and when he finally achieved something that he wanted to achieve, he's been knocked for it. And then when he called his mom the real MVP, it became this meme and it became a joke when, you know, his mother obviously matters to him. So, you know, I think anybody in his situation, you know, that speaks up, I mean, we, we've seen it. I've seen it on the local level. Trevor Cooney has spoken up for himself. Eric Dungy has spoken up for himself. Zaire Franklin. You know, guys get to a point where they're sick of people telling them who they are and what their team is and what they're about, and they have every right to stand up for themselves. So I think the media blowing this up like, oh, Kevin Durant hates us and he's a jerk. I think Kevin Durant is just saying, you know what, guys, if you want to know how I feel about something, ask me. And if I don't want to answer it, then move on. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and uh, it's a little bit like and. Um, you know, you you probably can speak to this better than I can, but he reminds me a little bit of, you know, kind of Dwight Howard, uh, in the sense that early in Dwight Howard's career, he was like the smiling guy that everybody loved, and um, you know, and then as his career moved on and he left Orlando, and then um, he became more and more of like a target, and you saw a different side of him. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I see a little bit of similarity with, with Durant as he went from um, everybody's darling in OKC to, um, to kind of the target. And and now he's lashing back because, you know, he doesn't like it, you know, rightfully so in a lot of cases. And I would tend to agree with that. You know, I, I mean, I, I would say that, you know, Dwight did start out as the one that, you know, people wanted to kind of, you know, uh, be around and his attitude and, you know, you could smile with him and have some fun with him and he could joke around. But at the same time, you know, I had the opportunity to be around him a lot, you know, and covering the Orlando Magic and living in Orlando and seeing him game by game. And he likes Dwight Howard in, in a very, it's, it's, you know, it's, we should all love ourselves, but he was very Dwight Howard centric. And I, I think that, you know, I don't know Kevin Durant's personality, from being in a locker room and talking with him or anything like that. But I can say that Dwight Howard's personality was very much the look at me, look at me, you know, I'm going to make you all wait for me. I'm the best. I'm this. I'm I mean, he was, it was just very egocentric, which I, th- which kind of turned me off to Dwight Howard. But with Kevin Durant, I mean, I just, I, I feel like he's always been the guy 
who just wants to go to work and do his job and be left alone. And I, I think his personality is different than, than Dwight Howard's, but I just don't understand the obsession with Kevin Durant. I mean, the guy is good. He gets the job done. He's successful, but you know, damn it. If you're, if you're not watching the games, Dave, if you're not watching golden state play, you would think that he's already on the Lakers because that's all anybody talks about. Right. And, um, you know, that's, that's a good segue. I think in something else we're going to talk about is, um, you know, a lot of that is we've kind of become a environment where nothing sells like hope. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and I think, you know, there is this, there is this, you know, motif. I mean, ever since we saw the LeBron James to <clears throat> the Lakers move happen, that's all we've heard about. This is what the Lakers are going to be in the future. This is what you can look forward to with the Lakers. This is what the Lakers are going to have. This is who's going to be on the team. This is how good they're going to be. This is what they're going to do. I don't care. I want to talk about this season. I want to talk about the here and now. And it's annoying. It's frustrating. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, what do you take of all this? Like you said, nothing sells like hope. There's this hope that the Lakers are going to be this tremendous team, that they're going to put together a super team that's even more super than the Golden State Warriors. And that's that's all you hear about. Kawhi Leonard goes to Toronto, and they're like, well, enjoy him for a year. He's going to be in L.A. And Kevin Durant's going to be in L.A. And everybody's going to be in L.A. So, I mean, what do you think about all of this? Because it's legitimately been the narrative since before the season started, and it continues to be the narrative. Nobody cares about this season. Let's talk about next season. The Lakers are going to be really good next season. Hey, something really good is going to happen next season. And I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing about it. Well, you know, that's kind of that's kind of been the case, you know, with, with Lakers. And, I mean, how long have you been hearing that kind of stuff about the Knicks, about how they're, you know, the, the Knicks this, the Knicks that, they're building for – the future and then they never sign anybody and they've stunk yeah. you know so you know it's a little bit of the same with the lakers one of the more key franchises and you know i think uh again nothing sells like hope you know the team's not very wasn't very good last year isn't very good um and the other thing the young guys haven't dealt with that well you know and i think when lebron got hurt the team was exposed as not being very good now LeBron's back, and there's all kinds of turmoil. Yeah, you know, and, and I think, but, you know, wherever LeBron goes, and, and listen, he is a tremendous player, but wherever he goes, there always is drama. And you need to understand when you're on LeBron's team, you're on LeBron's team. LeBron James runs the show. LeBron James is the guy. LeBron James is the one that is going to, you know, get all the hoopla. He's the one that's going to get the extensive contract, and everybody else is is, is auditioning. And if there's any sign of that truth ever being the case, look at the Lakers in the offseason. They wanted to sign one-year deals with everybody. You got a guy in Julius Randle who wanted a two-year deal, and they're like, no, nope, you can go. But they, it's, you know, they, <laughs> it's LeBron James, and then everybody's on American Idol singing for LeBron, and then they're preparing for the next year. And, and I think as good as LeBron is, when you're on a LeBron James team, it's never about you. It's never about the team. And, you know, and there is there there's a lot of turmoil. Now, listen, they win championships and they go to the finals and there's a lot of success that he brings. But I can only imagine that there's a lot of drama that comes with the fact of when you're playing with him, it's it's always about him. Yeah. Um, 
Well, it's about him. But it's about him in the context of what do we got to do to win a championship? Um, you know, so uh, I think you know, it, it, it takes, uh, like, I think a young team with LeBron at this stage in his career, and this is what I think we're seeing with the Lakers. Um, you know, these guys, the, the, you know, their guys are trying to still kind of cut their teeth and prove themselves in the NBA. And then you've got, you know, you've got LeVar Ball throwing a pot in the media, and that's, that's a whole other, um, you know, tentacle to the Lakers situation. Um, but I think, you, you know, the guys that seem to work with LeBron are like the veteran guys that kind of understand that he's the center of the team and he can, you know, he can be a conduit to them contending for a championship, extending their career, getting their next contract, that kind of thing. I think when you got a young team like the Lakers, um, you know, those guys are all like trying to make their own mark still. And that mix, I think is really, um, really problematic you know, yeah. uh, versus, you know, when you have the veteran guys, the, you know, whether it's the Ray Allen's or the Dwayne Wade's or the Kevin Love's or, um, you know, Corver going to Cleveland, um, you know, veteran guys like that, that I think, um, you know, George Hill went there and, you know, those kind of guys I think are at a different stage of their career and recognize that that you know you play with lebron he can extend my career and he can give me a chance to win a championship you know um irving was more on the front end of that and i think that's why you know he wanted to get away from lebron because he's back to or, or he's still at the at the place in his career where he wants to prove himself as being one of the elite players in the league and as long as he's next to lebron he's always going to be the sidekick um you know so that, that's why I think you saw Kyrie wanting out of Cleveland. Um, whereas, you know, other guys at a different stage of his, their career, um, I think more accept and embrace and, and, and are comfortable with, um, you know, playing the supporting role to LeBron. Yeah, no, and I think that's a good point. Speaking here with basketball coach and analyst Dave Paziak here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortori, I think that, you know, that that's a great point. You know, when, you, when you're when you dealing with these younger guys that are trying to make their mark or you're dealing with somebody in the case of Kyrie Ir- Irving where he was the face of the franchise, you know, when, when that comes about itself, then I think that that's where the issue therein arises is if you're on a team where you're already the leader. And I think the only one that really could deal with it was Dwayne Wade, but you know, to be put in kind of the wake of LeBron James, you know, uh, Chris Bosh obviously went through some health stuff, but he was, he was the guy in Toronto. And then all of a sudden he wasn't Dwayne Wade. It's never been the same since then. I know he's gotten older, but you know, he was the guy and then he's not. And I think Miami will always love him, but you kind of fade off into the distance. And I think in Kyrie Irving's sense is it was like, I've seen kind of LeBron leech on to the other superstars and kind of suck the life out of their career. So I need to get out of here before that happens to me. And I need to go show that I could still be the guy. And I think that he's had a lot of success, you know, moving on to Boston and showing what he could do there. But I mean, it is, it's, it's kind of like, you know, Dave, if you're going to play with LeBron, what are you willing to give up? Because you never really get back to superstar status when you play with LeBron. So you may win a championship, 
but your career changes, you change. These guys don't make, you know, necessarily the same amount of money after that. They're not looked at the same. So it's kind of a catch 22 of, you know, how are we going to handle this? Do we, you know, you want to win a championship, you want to play with one of the greats, but do you ever get looked at the same? And and will anybody ever let you lead their team moving forward? And I, I think that that's, you know, kind of where, where things are at is, you know, what are you willing to do to play with LeBron James? Well, Kyrie's an interesting case study in that because, um, you know, Kyrie goes to Boston, you know, Boston signs him and Hayward, and they both are injured, and the Celtics have a nice run with a young team. And now the expectation was this year, well, you add, you add back in Hayward, you add back in Kyrie, they should be the – LeBron's no longer in the East. They should be the runaway favorites, and it hasn't really played out that way. Right. You know, it, it may when playoff time comes, but, you know, if Boston falls short of expectations – and Kyrie's the guy that's going to take the heat for that, you know. I mean, he, he, he's he's going to be the guy that you know you couldn't elevate. What was a conference final seven games game seven conference final team, and we add you to the mix, and we're not as good. Um, so, you know, he's going to be an interesting case study in that to see. You know, he 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 wanted to be the guy and wanted to be a guy who could lead, and you know, he's put himself into that situation. Um, you know, and he's going to be maxed in the open market. It'd be interesting to see whether Boston um, keeps him as the centerpiece of their team, or I mean, Boston would would make a play for Anthony Davis in a heartbeat, even if it meant uh, losing Kyrie. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And what do you, what do you think about you know kind of going to that? You brought up Anthony Davis. You know, what do you think about what happened essentially between you know that happened or or didn't happen with with you know uh, the pelicans and the lakers do you think that ultimately i mean there's different stuff that has come out but do you think that the pelicans were trying to disrupt an already disruptive family in la well it seems like there's a little bit of ill will between the two franchises from a from a ownership management standpoint um so uh, if you believe what you read and what you hear, you know, when Davis puts it out there through his agent that he's, you know, he doesn't want to entertain staying in New Orleans and he wants to go to Lakers. And, you know, the agent is probably the biggest culprit, um, you know, in this whole um, soap opera with, you know, Anthony Davis and the Lakers. But so they put it out there and. You know, you got to believe it's coming from within New Orleans organization that, you know, they're leaking it out there that this guy and that guy and this are proposing this trade, that trade, you know, anybody on the roster but LeBron. And um, I'm sure that there's at least um, some degree of intent to disrupt the Lakers. You know, I mean, you compare the, you know, the whole thing with Anthony Davis and the Lakers to Tobias Harris going to Philadelphia, you know. There was not a peep of that deal until the trigger was pulled. You right. Know, nobody, nobody had that coming. Nobody saw that coming. There was no mention of him being on the trade block. Um, you know, nothing was out there. The two teams worked out a deal. Um, nobody leaked it until it's time to pull the trigger on the deal. Versus the Anthony Davis and the Lakers thing, it's like every couple hours you're seeing a different. You know, somebody tweeting something different on, putting something different on Twitter about. You know, this package, that package, here's what the Lakers are offering now. Um, you know, and, and my gut feeling, if you believe a lot of what you read, is that that was coming from the New Orleans side, like in an attempt to mess with the Lakers the same way 
Anthony Davis going on the record saying he's not resigning and wants to go to L.A., um, you know, clearly had a negative effect on, on the Pelicans. So. Yeah, so I mean, it just it's just a very kind of interesting situation and scenario when we hear things like this, and you know, because of social media, things can change in an instant. And I mean, what do you think about that? You and I have spoken about it before, but from you know the perspective of the fact that you know social media can create you know kind of this this back and forth and and whatnot. I mean, what do you think about it in, in you know relative to this situation or to any of these situations in the NBA where players can give their thoughts and you know front office staff can give their thoughts and other guys can respond to it and whatnot? You know, I mean, you could be a team that thinks, hey, we have Anthony Davis, you know, we're safe, he loves it being here, and then he might put something up on Twitter that says, man, you know, nobody's loyal anymore, and then all of a sudden it's a giant international story, and you're, why did he write that? Then you think it's because of you. So, I mean, there's a lot of drama now that goes through social media. What do you think about that aspect? Well, um, it certainly kind of changed our landscape and our world. Um, you know, it comes back down to the player and his representation a little bit. You know, um, go back to LeBron. Everybody knew his contract was up at the end of the year, but it wasn't the dominant story all of last year. You know, he waited till after the season. You know, play out your contract and sign whatever deal you choose to sign. You know, Kyrie Irving, like it was after the season. Um, came out that he didn't want he, he wasn't going to re-up and or didn't want to stay in Boston or in uh, Cleveland um like I guess I have an issue with it you know on the one hand I think if Davis has no intention of um re-signing with the Pelicans I think he's an upfront guy by going to the organization and say hey I'm just telling you what I'm not resigning at the end of my contract so you can move forward accordingly and the, you know the Pelicans are you know, not without some blame either. I mean, they let Cousins get away. They let Rondo get away. You know, so, I mean, they kind of didn't do their part as far as, you know, keeping a team that was, um, seemed to be tracking in the right direction, um, keeping that team together and adding to it. Instead, uh, you know, they, they, they let a couple of really core pieces go. But, you know, the problem I have with it is, is Davis or Davis's people being so public about it in the middle of the season. Um, you know, you're under contract, play out your contract. Um, you know, if you have no intention of re-signing, it's a stand-up thing to tell the organization so they can, you know, plan accordingly. But, um, you know, I think that Davis and, and his representation being so upfront about it and so public about it, like, in mid-season, um, you know, I have an issue with that. No, and I can understand that. And I think, you know, we've kind of lost that personal responsibility and we've lost the art of, you know, you know, obviously, you know, be good to the one. If you're not going to leave the dance with, you know, the one you brought, at least dance with them or at least respect the fact that you brought them there. And maybe in the future, maybe the day after the dance, you're not dancing with that person anymore, but that's who you brought and that's who you need to take home. And that's who you need to make sure, you know, gets to where they need to go safely and soundly. So, you know, it's it, you know to me, it's it, we're we're living in a world where people don't. I I I don't want to say everybody because it's not everybody. You know, I I know a lot of good people, and I always want to believe there's more good than bad in the world. 
we are in a society where personal responsibility with some people doesn't exist. It's not even a term. And I think that, you know, when it comes down to it is you might not want to be here and you might not want to do this. You may not want to do that. But this is the team that paid you. This is the team that spent their time and their due diligence on you. They have helped you to live the life that you want to live and even better than that over the years. So at the very least you can do is respect them enough to pull them aside and have a meeting face-to-face and sit down with them before you say anything, do anything, or before your agent starts running their mouth. And I I just feel like this should not be a course that you have to teach in school, but maybe it should. Maybe we have to teach etiquette because I feel like in today's day and age, and you look at Le'Veon Bell, I mean, look at that situation. He was saying something, you know, he's not allegedly not talking to the Steelers. They're not talking to him. Ben Roethlisberger's calling him. He's not answering. Then he says stuff on social media. Then he does interviews that say he's doing this, and then he does the other thing. Then his agent's saying something totally different than what he's saying. Agent's like, he'll be back. Then he's saying publicly, I didn't tell my agent that. It just it just seems like things have gotten out of control and that your representation in the case of Le'Veon Bell isn't even speaking on your behalf at times, it seems like, unless you call up your agent and say, hey, let's create this frenzy. You say this and I'll say that. I mean, it just seems it seems out of control. Yeah, it does. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, if you want the ability to move all the time, then sign short deals, you know. Davis signed the con- you know, he, he, he's under contract to the Pelicans, you know, live up to the terms of your contract, fulfill it. And then, you know, it's your right to go out and get whatever deal you want. But, um, you know, don't make that the issue while you're under contract to that franchise. Exactly. And I, I think that, and you talk about, you know, if you want to leave or if you want to move forward and whatnot, and that's one of the topics I want to get to here before we wrap up, speaking here with basketball coach and analyst Dave Paziak, and that's college players transferring, not just in basketball, but in football. In football, it's it's run rampant now. The transfer portal is is loaded. You know, it's a, I feel like the transfer, transfer portal for college football is going to crash at some point. But we're seeing all of these changes. We're seeing, you know, everybody wants to move and do this and do that. And if they go on a team and they're there for, I mean, in the case of Syracuse, Chance Amy comes in here as a true freshman this season. And I'm not going to pretend to know his situation because him and I have never spoken. But Chance Amy comes in to Syracuse and there's Eric Dungy. You know Eric Dungy's the starting quarterback when you come in. That's, that's. I mean, if you don't know, then you're not paying any attention. So you know he's the guy. Tommy DeVito steps in. He's doing good. The thought of Tommy being the future, you know, obviously that comes up. This kid is redshirted. He doesn't play. He's got four years of eligibility, and he goes, nah, I'm leaving Syracuse. And then we look at other situations like Kelly Bryant. I'm the starting quarterback. And then they brought in Trevor Lawrence. Well, I'm the starter. I should be the starter. I'm the guy. Okay, well, compete for your job. No, I'm going to go somewhere else. And, and then that week... We see an injury to Trevor Lawrence, and Kelly Bryant could have played for a week or two. But, you know, it's just there's those situations. There's the grad transfers that happens a lot. But, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Because we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing college basketball players go to three different teams before graduating. We're seeing college football players not even spend a full calendar year at a school and going somewhere else and opening their recruitment right after they sign their national letter of intent. I mean, what are your thoughts on, on the fact that we now have college free agency? 
Well, um, first of all, it's ironic that you said something about the transfer portal crashing because um, last night I was trying to look up a kid on there and it did indeed crash. But, uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I think it's, it, it's, a, uh, it's a byproduct of our society today about, um, you know, instant gratification and the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And, um, you know, if... if the, the kids that um, work through and persevere and, and and develop and carve out their niche in a program, it's easier to just say, I'm going to transfer. Coach doesn't like me or, you know, I, I'm going to transfer um, rather than uh, earn my keep. Um, you know, it, it's, I don't, the way our society is, I don't see it going in, in a different direction. And, you know, and, and if you hear a lot of the pundits out there, you know, they kind of, play into this well kids shouldn't even have to sit kids, you know if coaches can go kids should go blah, blah, blah. so um you know and there are i mean there are legitimate reasons for transfer sometimes you know um whether it be you know fit within the program or academic issues or need to be closer to home because of a family situation i mean there there, there are there are legitimate reasons for, for kids to transfer but a lot of the times it's like you know rather than work to get better i'm going to transfer you know rather than, um, you know, continuing to, to develop my craft and, and whatnot, I'm going to transfer. So that, that has kind of become, um, and, and it's not limited to uh, college. You know, you see the high school stuff. Uh, you know, kids leaving high schools, you know, that's why, I, honestly, and I hope he ends up being a great player. I love Joe Girard. And I don't, I mean, I've met him a couple of times and I've met his dad and they're very nice people, but I don't, I can't say that I know him, so to speak, but he's, he's a guy, you know, who's, you know, worked his tail off to become obviously a tremendous player. And he, everybody was in his ear about, you got to go to prep school, blah, blah, blah. You shouldn't play football, blah, blah, blah. Like his guy, he stayed in, in his, in his hometown, in his high school, continued to play football, um, you know, stayed kind of true to what he was, and he turned out just fine. He's going to, you know, one of the premier basketball programs in the, in the ACC in the country, and, um, you know, just kind of was loyal to his, his, his school and his town and his community. And, and so I really respect that about him, and I really hope that he develops into a, a tremendous player at Syracuse. But, uh, but guys like that are um, – few and far between like you know i think we we developed that culture um you know the, the 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 club basketball circuit has has contributed to that you know you're on an aau team and you don't like you know you play for this team this weekend i don't like where i'm at i'm gonna go play for another team next weekend you know and it's become more of a it's it's about me right now instant gratification and less about committing to a you know, a team and a culture and an environment and, and working to get better. Right. And, and to me, it's kind of a joke now. I mean, it, it's, you want to, you want to believe, but you know, you look at, you look at these, I mean, in the case of, of Tate Martell, who is a quarterback out in Ohio state. I mean, here he is, he got to play a little bit, you know, in kind of uh, garbage time and whatnot behind Dwayne Haskins. And then Dwayne Haskins is gone and they bring in fields and Tate Martell's like, well, I'm out. But he's got to sit out a year and go to Miami. So now he's not going to play football for the better part of two years. 
And, you know, you spend all that time. There's all these schools going after him. There's all of these schools that want him to be their future quarterback. And he says yes to Ohio State. And the Ohio State fans saw him for about 14 minutes. And he's gone. And now Miami, okay, well, now Miami's like, oh, hell, we got this guy. You know, he's going to be great. But, you know, you're not going to see him for at least a year. And then, you know, what if your quarterback this year plays really well? And what, and what if he doesn't make sense there? So, you know, I mean, I totally understand guys having to leave for certain situations. And I completely understand when, you know, a guy doesn't like, you know, uh, if a coach leaves that they had, you know, dedicated themselves to, or if something happens within the university, or maybe there's a postseason ban or whatever that may be. I totally get that. And I totally understand those situations. But the, you know, I'm here. And I don't really want to fight for my job, and this is kind of BS, and I'm out. You know, it's like, dude, when you go to the NFL, you're going to have to fight for your job. You're going to have to earn it. There are thousands and thousands of players every single year in free agency, thousands and thousands of players internationally trying to get in, thousands and thousands of players trying to come from the CFL, thousands and thousands of players trying to come from college football, all trying to take spots of guys that are already in the NFL on that 53-man roster. So you're going to have to compete for every single job that you get. And to say in the beginning, eh, I don't, and I and I don't know Tate Martell's complete situation, but I'm just I'm making a broad scope here, using it as an example that if you just keep moving and keep moving and keep moving, guess what? I mean, if I'm an NFL team and I tell you that I'm going to draft you, but you're going to have to wait a year or two behind such and such, are you going to be a problem in my locker room? And and I think that that's what it comes down to is there are so many reasons why you can transfer, why it makes sense. But if you're transferring because you don't want to wait, if you're transferring because you don't want to compete, if you're transferring because you want to stomp your foot down because, you know, mommy gave me everything and you're supposed to give me everything, then I think we got a problem here, Dave. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And, you know, I don't care whether it's basketball coach, football coach, you know, baseball coach, soccer coach, tennis coach, whatever. There's no coach in the country that's going to sit you down and say, hey, you're playing too good today. I'm going to play this other guy. You right. know, So go out and earn your, you know, the, the better guy, the better guy, the better girl is going to play, you know. So, um, you know, you got two choices, either compete and get better or, you know, what more and more kids, unfortunately, are doing is, you know, let's take the easy way out and, it's, you know, I don't want to work for, for my keep, so I'll go somewhere else. And, um, you know, a lot sometimes those things work out, but sometimes – you know, guys are back in the same situation, you know, and, and you'll, that's where you'll see that, you, you know, the kid, with, you know, three schools in four years or something like that. You know, it's just, it's, uh, it's unfortunately, it's like a kind of a sad commentary on where we're at as a society, you know? Yeah. Um, it, you know, we, we're, we're, it's just, um, I think we've, we've hovercrafted kids and, 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 and run cover for kids to, to a point where they don't feel like they have to kind of compete and work to get better. And, you know, it's supposed to be instant gratification, like the video game or something, you know? So that, that's a frustrating thing. And, you know, it's, it, it's in athletics and it's in society with young people. Yeah. And I think, I think it's sad. And I think that, you know, we obviously have to learn if you want something, you got to work for it and you got to work for it every single day. So, it's just the reality of it all. The final piece here that I want to get to here, speaking of working for something 
every single day, Dave. And the, you know, this is a team. The Toronto Raptors have, you know, they've <clears throat> they've become a new look. They had one of my favorites of all time, Demar Derozan, and they decided to let him go for Kawhi Leonard and also Danny Green, which nobody talks about, and they should because I like Danny Green. But and and I think he's a tremendous player. And then you have Jonas Valanciunas and Delon Wright, C.J. Miles, second round pick. And you go over to the Grizzlies and you say, "Hey, Grizzlies, we like that guy Marcus Sol. We think that he should come on to our team." So now Marcus Sol is a Raptor. Now the Raptors are making these moves. You got to think about this, folks. Raptors are notorious for doing nothing. The Raptors are notorious for the definition of insanity, just doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. They're the second best team, only a game behind the Milwaukee Bucks. They're 42 and 16. The Bucks are 42 and 14. One and two in the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee and Toronto. So they're a good team. And they've been number one for a while in the East last year, this year. But they decide, hey, you know what? As good as we are and as much as we've done, we needed Kawhi. And as good as we are and as much as we've done, we need Marcus Ole. What do you think about what the Toronto Raptors are doing right now, and are they making the right moves? Well, uh, whether they're making the right moves or not, will you know, will just to be seen once uh, playoff time rolls around. But uh, you know, the the thing I'll say about the Raptors, you know, they made a kind of a controversial move to dump Dwayne Casey last year, and yeah. so I think that um, you know, on the one hand, I'll give the organization credit. It, from the standpoint of they felt like standing pat was not going to get them to the top of the mountain. Um, you know, so I, I give them credit for making aggressive moves and, you know, going out and getting letter with no, you know, no assurance that you're going to have them past this season. Um, you know, the Gasol trade, I mean, you, you picked up, uh, I mean, Valanciunas, I like him and everything, but I mean, it's, it, that's clearly an upgrade for them. Um, you know, I think they made an under the radar move that's going to pay off for them by signing Jeremy Lin off of a, uh, um, uh, <coughs> uh, release and sign deal recently, so I think he'll give them good depth in the backcourt. So, <coughs> excuse me. So uh, you know, I think I think they made some aggressive moves that seem to make sense, and it's an interesting time because you know, for years with LeBron with Cleveland and Miami, um, there was a sense that no matter what anybody else did, it was LeBron's world and you know you had a ceiling and that ceiling was eastern conference finals um now with you know with lebron gone the cavaliers broken up um you know i think there's a real sense that the east is there for the taking um you know so i think you see toronto i think you know you see milwaukee making a move you see philly making moves you know i think teams think that there's a window of opportunity to strike now and they're they're trying to be really aggressive and and capitalize on that so um you know i give the raptors the raptors credit for you know for making aggressive moves that um you know they may not work out but they may also catapult them to a level that they haven't been able to get to before yeah you know we're seeing like you said jeremy lynn coming onto the team a free agent and you know norman powell who they built up through their system Serge Ibaka obviously bringing him in in 2017 with a trade with Orlando who only kept him for a season. Then you have Marcus Sol who's come in recently, Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, Kyle Lowry. I mean, it's a different look team. And, you know, now it's it's strange because Kyle Lowry is really like 
the old face on the team and then everybody else you know is is newer you know from Serge Ibaka to Kawhi Leonard to Danny Green to Marcus Ole and, and so on and so forth but this is a team that said you know what we like you said we can't be status quo what we're doing is good but it's not enough we need to get better and in order to get better we're going to have to make some changes now Nick Nurse by by every stretch of the imagination is not a bad coach and, you know, Ryan Blackwell spoke with me about this. He was his coach. You know, Ryan Blackwell had had worked with him before, worked under him as a player, and, and that was his coach overseas. So, you know, Nick Nurse is, is no slouch, and I think that, you know, we're seeing that now. And I think that we're seeing that, you know, as much as the DeMar DeRozan move hurt personally because, you know, I think a, a lot of a lot of people that are Toronto fans and, you know, obviously me and, and being connected with the team since they came in in 95, you know, it's it's hard to see somebody go who says, this is where I want to be, because you don't hear that all too often with Toronto. But I can't help but look at them and say, they're winning, they're a game out of first place, and the moves that they're making are making sense. And could it be that they are setting up this deal and setting up this package and, and doing what they're doing the way that they're doing it, to tell Kawhi when it's all said and done, why would you leave this place? So I think Toronto is, you know, trying to win a championship, obviously. But I also think that from day zero, if you look at any of their social media, especially, you know, you look at their Twitter and whatnot, they've done everything in their power to show Kawhi that this is a destination and not just part of the journey. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. I, you know, I, I liken it a lot to... Um you know, when Paul George went, uh, was shipped to Oklahoma City, um, nobody had any expectation of him staying there beyond the one season. But they created an environment where once he was there, it's hard for him to leave. And I think Toronto is trying to do the same thing with Kawhi. Um, you know, they're trying to win now, no question about it. But I think they're also trying to um, create an environment with Kawhi where it's going to be really hard for him to to leap and um you know so I, I give him credit for that as well and you know if, if that pays off like if Kawhi sign re-signs with them then all these moves have been tremendous um if Kawhi doesn't re-sign with them then the Ra- Raptors are at a really precarious place um you know but I still like I said I think they along with three or four other teams in the east all see opportunity and you know i give them credit for going for it right now yeah absolutely that coming from dave paziak and we'll see where things go from here dave the conversation always opens doors to more and i look forward to the opportunity of having this continued conversation with you as we step forward here further and further into the season i wish you the best with everything that you're doing to build up the program with the linden hornets and i look forward to the opportunity of having you back on the show very soon Thanks, Dan. Look forward to speaking to you again soon. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That coming once again from Dave Paziak, the head coach for the Linden Hornets as well, out in the state of Vermont, as well as a basketball mind and analyst. I consider him to be one of the best conversations we have here on the show always. So thank you to Dave Paziak.